Welcome back to the Muzzle Blast Podcast, the official podcast of the National Muzzleloading Rifle Association. This week we're talking with Ian Egbert. Ian is the admin of the Black Powder Cartridge Rifle Silhouette Shooters Association Facebook page. It's a Facebook page set up for black powder cartridge and long range black powder muzzleloader shooters stretching from, you know, their close silhouettes at 25 yards all the way out to 500 yards and then even farther out to 1,000 and out to 1,200 yards with black powder. Ian's been traveling to a lot of shoots this year and posting a lot of photos online. And it's been great to see what he's been able to do and what he's doing to push black powder muzzleloaders to their limit. So we're going to we're having him on today to hear about that more. I might sound a little funny this week. I've been fighting a sinus infection, so I'm going to let Ian do most of the talking here tonight. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you at the end of the show. My name is uh, Ian Egbert. I am from Portsmouth, Ohio. I got my first rifle when I was 14, which was a Thompson Center Hawken. I've been into black powder muzzleloaders and black powder cartridge rifles ever since then. Uh, about mm, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, I got a trapdoor, my first black powder cartridge rifle, and I've been really interested in black powder cartridge stuff since then. Kind of got on the internet and found a, a local silhouette club and started shooting out there, and I've been uh, involved with it pretty heavily for for that long. And what got you? Uh, what got you interested in the black powder cartridge? Uh, like I said, I went into a I walked into a gun store. I had a Petersoli Sharps. I shot smokeless powder out of it, but I walked into a gun store and seen a trap door, and I ended up, I ended up buying it. I okay. started read, researching on it and reading some books on them and ended up loading black powder cartridges for it. And that was the very first time I loaded black powder cartridges for anything. And I, you know, I've always shot black powder out of muzzleloaders up until then. And yeah. I thought that was awesome <clears throat> to shoot. 500 grain bullets out of a breech loader like that with 70 grains of black powder. <laughs> and like I said, I kind of started looking around, did some digging and found a, a club that shot them about an hour, hour from my house in Ashland, Kentucky. And when I found out they were shooting 500 meters out there, I, that was, uh, I thought, well, that's something I got to do. <laughs> I got to try that. And I was hooked first time I tried it. Well, it's hard to beat that. I mean, I, I think once you start shooting anything black powder and muzzle loading, especially you start shooting out to that distance. I mean, that's, that's a big it's, deal. It's, yeah, it's a lot of, it's, it was, I, you know, up until then, I'd always, the only shooting matches I'd ever attended were patch ball, patch round ball guns. Mm -hmm. And that was around the same time I started getting to NSSA, what they call North South Skirmish Association stuff too. And we only shot 50 and a hundred yards there. Yeah. But it was uh, really interesting to see how long it actually takes a bullet to go that far. So how long does it take, just for people who aren't familiar with it? To get to 1,000, it takes about, I believe the flight time is about 3.6 seconds, <laughs> somewhere in there. And so when you're laying down on the cross sticks and you're, when you, fire the, when you fire the rifle, the people in the pits pull the target down. So mm -hmm. it takes the bullet so long to get down there, you think it missed. <laughs> and just when you're ready for it to hear a miss, the target starts to come down. Then you take a sigh. It's like a sigh of relief. Yeah. That's one of my favorite parts about shooting or hearing shots at Friendship, even out to 500 yards, is there's still a little bit of a delay there. There is. There is a delay. And that's kind of where everybody's holding their breath and looking and waiting. And then you hear that re that report back, even with the, the more modern inline stuff that we're, we've been shooting with the Blackhorn. I mean, there's still, I mean, they're oh, fast. It still takes some time to get down there. Yeah. I have to fight the urge to, when I'm shooting silhouettes, I have to fight the urge to watch the animal fall. Uh-huh. What you want to do is you want to hear it. You got to hear it hit instead okay. of trying to watch it fall. 
like a, something I'm always struggling with. So why do you want to listen for it over watching for it? Because if you if you come off the rifle too soon, you're not following through properly. Ah, uh, okay. So you just want to follow through and listen for that bullet to strike the animal. Okay. So if you, if you start looking for it, you're worried that you're going to begin to anticipate I, I, it. If I, if I come off the rifle too soon, it's usually a miss high. Ah, okay. I didn't even think about that, but that that's mm-hmm. that's smart. Any uh, any small small detail will show up big time. And you start shooting distances like that. Oh yeah, definitely. This podcast is brought to you by Thor Bullets. Thor Bullets are a premium full bore muzzleloader bullet designed specifically for modern inline rifles. Thor Bullets do not require plastic sabos or belts to be fired, meaning less cleaning for you between shots. The patented copper base creates an airtight seal, giving you greater distance and accuracy. Thor's unique engineering allows the bullets to retain 95% of their weight upon impact, and the controlled expansion ensures large, easy-to-follow blood trails. Thor bullets are currently available in a 50 caliber version that is sized to your specific bore. Thor is also expanding into a new 45 caliber bullet designed for faster 1 in 24 and 1 in 22 twist inline rifles. For more information on these great bullets, visit www.thorbullets.com. We'd like to thank Thor Bullets for their sponsorship of this podcast. So you started about 14 years ago, you got, got in a black powder cartridge. And yeah, then before then. I've been shooting black powder long before then. But. Right. That was the first time I'd started putting black powder inside of brass cases. And so going back to when you were 14, were you hunting with muzzleloaders or were you, you know, going out and, and camping and shooting kind of I distant? Did a, I did a little bit of hunting. I uh, I really just enjoyed shooting. Uh-huh. I wanted to get around. There's a local club not far from where I lived, about a half hour from my house, called the Daniel Boone Muzzleloading Rifle Club. And we, I got there every once in a while and shoot round ball guns <clears throat> and then uh, got uh, a couple flintlocks after that and then I joined the service and took a hiatus from that but when I got back I started getting back into the muzzleloaders well thank you and, for uh, your service well, no problem but uh, I uh, just got into that stuff and I've always black powder's always been something something I've been into as early as I can remember anyways yeah. went to a uh, a battlefield in uh, Perryville, Kentucky, and there were some guys that had a uh, uh, Civil War gun display. I think I was eight or nine years old. And to see something about those uh, Civil War muskets uh, fascinated me. And it's been something something I've been into, into ever since. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, that really kind of, that's a great example of how demonstrations and reenactments can get people involved in this sport and hobby. That's, oh, yeah. That's great yeah. to hear. So when you're going out shooting now, you've been doing this much longer than when you first got your your black powder cartridge rifle. What's your go-to gear and gun for going to shoot a match somewhere? And uh, it depends on the type of match I'm shooting and if I want to shoot scope or irons. Okay. I've wanted to set my – I've got a C-Sharps high wall I've been shooting most of the year this year. And I was wanting to eventually get it set up as a dedicated scope rifle, although I shoot irons most of the time. Okay. Uh, my, my Shiloh is probably my most comfortable rifle. And then I've got a, a CPA that I would like to use, eventually use it for backup for uh, irons, and then I can back it. It'll shoot irons or scope. I've got it set up to do both, which I do the high wall too, I guess. But uh, I don't, I don't. as far as having a favorite gun or a, a go-to rifle this year, I have to say it's my high wall. But they kind of alternate mm-hmm. year to year. 
Is it try to get does it just alternate based on what you're just kind of feeling or what you're comfortable yeah, with? Yeah, maybe. Uh, sometimes I'll shoot one rifle better than the other. It seems like I don't know yeah. why that is. Or, but I've been uh, I've been into the high wall this this season. Uh, I'll probably uh, end up shooting the uh, sh- finishing the season out with that, and uh, next year I'll probably focus more on the CPA. Okay. How many matches are you traveling to? On on Facebook, it really seems like you get out quite a bit. I try to. I really do. You can ask my wife. She'll tell you all about it. <laughs> but I travel. I go down to Georgia uh, at least once a year. I've been twice a year, a couple once. I go to Friendship as often as I can, which isn't as often as I'd like. Uh, I go to Alma, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, whenever they shoot. Uh, McDonald, Pennsylvania. Man. And that's just the silhouette stuff. And then we got Atterbury, Indiana for the long range. And then they canceled it this year, but uh, Oak Ridge, mm-hmm. I'll start going to there every year. A really good, great match that Rick Weber puts on. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, that's the Creedmoor 150, right? Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping we can do that one next year. I'm sure we will. So can we talk a little bit about the powder and the bullets? I'm not too familiar with the black powder cartridge. And the reloading okay. process. I mean, I, I know a little bit about reloading modern stuff, but I haven't delved into personally into the black powder cartridge. What kind of powder are you using? Are you casting your own bullets and what mold? Yeah. And oh yeah, I cast. I couldn't afford. I don't even know if you could. Uh, you could probably buy these, but I don't know if was, I could afford to pay someone to do it for me. <laughs> but I'm shooting. I'm shooting different bullets than what most people are. There's some doing it, but I'm shooting a paper patch bullet, which is more of a traditional uh, route but they're uh they're a bore diameter bullet not groove this confuses a lot of people but they're an actually bore diameter bullet okay. so the 4570 bore is 450 typically yep. 451 these bullets you could load them like you would a muzzleloader and then they they bump up like a muzzleloader bullet would okay uh, but i'm loading them in a cartridge so and another big misconception is that they have to be pure lead in order to bump up which I'm shooting a, an alloy that's 14 pounds of uh, pure lead and one pound of tin. And that's an original alloy that the Sharps Rifle Company, one of their alloys that they use, I think they use a 12 to 1 and a 14 to 1 back in the 1870s and 80s for their Creedmoor rifles. Okay. But uh, uh, they do that. We make them hard like that to control the pump up because otherwise you can get what's known as nose slump. And the uh, the pointed nose will just crumple up. And it won't be uh, round or pointed anymore. It'll just more, be more like a wad cutter. It's too soft. Okay. And that and ruins the aerodynamics. Oh yeah, it'll it'll mess up a lot of things. It could also lead to leading real bad. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, bump up past your patch. But uh, the powder I'm using is uh, Swiss. I have two kinds of Swiss powders I've tried and I've liked both of them. It's just the, the one and a half, and then I've been using. Uh, Deer Creek uh, products where I try to get my powder they didn't have one and a half so I ended up buying 2F which I hadn't used before and I think it's shooting better than the one and a half was so oh, I bought it so I'm gonna maybe just start using the Swiss 2F uh-huh. from now on so I use 81 grains of that in a 4570 case which is the 70 case is 2.1 inches long I'm basically pouring 81 grains weight a weight charge of 81 grains <clears throat> through a drop tube into the case at a 12-second count, and that brings the powder right up to the very top of the case. And then I'll use a 60,000-thick 
poly wad to seat the bullet or seat the compressed powder with. I'm compressing the, pushing the wad about 80 thousandths of an inch below the mouth of the case. Huh. So my bullet's just barely seated in the case. Yeah. And that's like, and I do that so I can cram as much powder as I can in the case. Uh, okay. So I can basically shoot my 4570 like a 4590. <laughs> so I use, I use that load for my lay down animals or my long distance targets, uh-huh. which it has a, it has quite a bit of recoil. The bullet weighs 540 grains. Wow. They're going 1330 feet a second out of a 32 inch barrel, a little slower out of the 30 inch barrels. But, uh, for offhand shooting, which it's still lightly shoot the chickens at 200 meters offhand. I have another bullet that I use that weighs 450 grains, but it, it is a groove diameter bullet. It's a four, five, eight diameter bullet. So I have to seat it deep in the case. Oh, okay. And I only use 50 grains of powder for it and it recoils a lot less. Yeah. So it's a much, much more, uh, mild load to shoot offhand because those heavy loads were teaching me how to flinch real quick. Yeah. Cause then you don't need, well, you don't want that at all on those chickens. No, 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 they're, <laughs> They're hard enough as yeah. it is. <laughs> I think watching the regional boy on the when it came down to everybody shooting the chickens, I mean that was rough. I think yeah, like, it is rough. Getting three or four people were feeling pretty good. <laughs> yeah, uh, chickens for me can be a. I never know how it's. I can feel good about it and walk away with one, and then another time I can feel like I don't think I'm going to do very good and have six hits on them. So yeah. it's, it's like a one-handled faucet. If I turn it on, it's going to going to be hot or cold, and I won't know until I turn it on. <laughs> yeah. After watching that, I set up, I've got a little air gun range in my backyard and I've been trying to shoot my air rifle off offhand at, at a chicken at about 25 yards just to try to get <laughs> after, after seeing that stuff. It was kind of like, Ooh, I need that's to good practice. Any, any kind of shooting like that. I've got some uh, reduced chicken targets and I want to start shooting off at a hundred yards uh-huh. and my uh, range. It's close to my house. That's the plan for this winter, so I can be a little. I'd like to be a little more consistent with them. Yeah, and so you're you're going out and you're shooting at a lot of these matches. Are you practicing a lot in between, or is going to the uh, matches yeah. kind if of? If I'm not at a match, I'm usually I'm shooting. I'm at the range at least okay. one one day a week. Oh wow! I'm either practicing or just just shooting, uh-huh. uh, trying a few different things here and there, tweaking things or. <clears throat> just getting behind a rifle and, and trying to keep uh, keep squeezing the trigger. Yeah. And are you are you practicing with the same loads that you're shooting with then, or do you have mm-hmm. a di- okay? Yeah, uh, we have the uh, the range in Kentucky. We have practice days, and whenever we have a practice day, I'm usually up there on a Saturday or a Friday, uh, setting up targets and shooting at silhouettes. And if we don't have the practice range open, then I'm at the uh, 200 yard range shooting at. Uh, paper targets, okay. which are the same targets we use for long range, just circular uh-huh. target rifle targets. Yeah. So if I don't have a match, I'm usually, I like to try to shoot as often as I can. Yeah. Well, that's great. That's, I mean, I think that's what we all try to do, but it sounds like you really get it done. <laughs> I try. I'm a, I'm, I just, I just enjoy, I really, I really enjoy all aspects of it. Yeah. The casting, the, casting can be a drag, but I like, I enjoy loading them, enjoy shooting them and cleaning them. All of it, all of it's really fun to me. I think. Yeah, I think if you're into muzzleloading or or black powder in any way, you have to kind of, you have to appreciate that process. Yeah, absolutely. You get into it a little bit. I know I, yeah, I enjoy do. it. And look for something you actually look forward to. Yeah, especially at a match, you know, yeah. at a skirmish. It's fun sitting around when we're done shooting, 
uh, cooking dinner and cleaning our muskets and uh, revolvers or whatever, or uh, sharps rifles or whatever, whatever we've shot that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a sense of camaraderie and bonding there, especially. Absolutely, the there ranches. is. For a limited time, you can enter to win a 15-pack of Thor Bullets. That's a $30 to $34 value. Visit thorbullets.com slash NMLRA to fill out the form and enter to win. So you just got back from the 1,200-yard match at Atterbury. What's it like to shoot black powder at those distances? I think when it comes to hunting and things, a lot of people think that 100 yards is really pushing a muzzleloader and pushing black powder. But 1,200 yards, that's a big deal. 1,200 yards, that was the first time I'd shot past 1,000. 1,000 was hard enough. But uh, 1,200 yards, every little puff of wind, every... uh, Mirage shift. I mean, it really, really starts to show up down there. Yeah. The drop on them is insane. Uh, Typically, to go up from 100 yards, you're looking at 10 or 11 minutes, somewhere in there. To go from uh, 1,000 to 1,100 yards, I went up 20 minutes, and then I went up 21 minutes to go from 1,100 to 1,200 yards. Wow. And we had a lot of wind on Mm -hmm. Sunday. It was pretty daggone breezy. Uh, I, I think as some of that was from that hurricane that was coming, went just south of us. Yeah. But uh, it was really, really blowing the bullets around. Uh, I had to put 23 minutes, mm, it was right, I believe, or left, 23 minutes left windage in my sight, which means I was aiming 23 feet to the left of the target to actually hit it. Wow. So they get blown around quite a bit. Huh. So when you, you're putting those minutes in, are you looking at the target and still centered on the target or are you? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. My sights are centered on the target, but the barrel is. Is pointed off. off. Wow. Pointed off. <laughs> so if you were to do the math, it would have been pointed 23 feet to the left of the target. Wow. You know, if you were to draw a straight line from the barrel to the target. Yeah. And the wind is pushing at that 23 the feet wind is in this travel time. That much. Wow. And, and the travel time at a thousand is 3.6 seconds. So. I'm going to assume that the travel time to 1,200 was probably close to four, maybe a little better than four seconds. And you're shooting that prone off across sticks then? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to hear people, I hear people say all the time that they didn't think a 4570 or a black powder rifle would go that far. But if you ever work the pits down at at those ranges at 1,000 and 1,200 yards, and you you can hear the bullets coming through, Mm -hmm. and they still have a lot of power. Oh, I bet. And they have, it sounds wicked down there. <laughs> You'll hear the shot first, and then the bullet will come, will come hit the target or go over your head or whatever. But they're, they're still going pretty fast. Yeah, I mean, that, it, you're still shooting that 540, 550 grain bullet, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of lead to go downrange. It is a lot of lead, and they don't want to stay <laughs> slow down very fast. No, they don't. Which they're going pretty slow by the time they get there, but they're still got, they've still got a lot of power. Yeah. Do you know, do you have any estimation on how fast they're moving or how hard they're hitting? Has um, there been any tests like, I know on they're that? coming out of the muzzle. Mine are coming out of the muzzle at 1330. I, I've, I think they're going to be around 800 by the time they get down there, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Wow. For anybody who's listening who has access to a JBM you know, ballistics calculator, uh, I've estimated some of my bullets to be uh, have a ballistic coefficient of around 400. So if you could take 1,300 feet a second 
and enter that ballistic coefficient of 100, 400, then you could find out about what how fast they'd be going at that distance. Okay. I think that's too that's a little too advanced for me at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but that's awesome. I've got the pictures set up here on my computer of the match and some of the videos too. And it's just neat. It's neat seeing the black powder smoke and then, you know, where you guys are laying down on the line with the cross sticks, you just start to see flags going off in the distance. And there's just yeah. little specks on the horizon that are the targets. Yeah, they are. And that's that's an interesting <laughs> Uh, type of shoot too because that's a historic uh back in the day they really shot those distances yeah. 1,000, uh, 800, 900 out to some of them went out to 1200 yards and then you tell people that uh, they shoot muzzlers at that distance and they just they're just blown away yeah. uh ken heisman let me shoot his muzzleloader twice up there uh it was a ferris rifle that lee shaver had built and I can now say that I have no, I've shot it twice, and I can say I did not have any misses with a muzzleloader at 1,200 yards. Wow. So his <laughs> rifle was dialed in and working pretty good. That is something else. I've got to, I've got to set up and try that. I think I think there's a couple of black powder cartridge guns in the family I'm going to have to start digging out. You need to. It's a lot of fun. I can't believe that more people don't, are, 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 uh, don't know about it or haven't tried it. It's... It's a lot of fun. People are, well, most people really enjoy it once they start doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Once they kind of get that, people call it the black powder smile. Yeah. That's a, a good way to describe it. You know, the it's first time way. they take a shot, you know, and, and then they're hooked. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's neat about black powder cartridges. There's a a negative connotation when it comes to muzzleloaders on cleaning and maintenance and how it takes too long to load and and this and that when you get in the black powder cartridge it's a little faster you know it you, is. you still have the, the cleaning, cases i think is the, the cleaning is a lot quicker although i've never found cleaning muzzlers to be a, that bad yeah <laughs> but uh, cleaning a black powder cartridge rifle is easy easy peasy uh, just a few wet patches and dry patches and oil it when you're done the cases can be tricky but if you have a wet tumbler or a uh, they, uh, well, there's another another one that they're using, an ultrasonic cleaner. If you oh, have an okay. ultrasonic cleaner or a wet tumbler, it makes cleaning cases real easy. I, I have a tumbler's tumbler with uh, ceramic media, so I'll punch the primers out at the range, drop the fired case into a, buck, a bottle of water, and then when I get home, I'll uh, put them in my uh, tumbler's tumbler for three hours, and then they come out uh, good as new. Huh. The the insides of the primer pocket are clean, and the inside of the case is clean. And they're shiny. ready to be reused. They're ready to be reused. <laughs> uh, so, and most people are shooting would be shooting grease groove ammo. So once they're once they're uh, clean and dry, uh, they'll go through and reprime all their cases just like you would with a modern mm-hmm. <clears throat> modern shell, and then you charge charge your case. Well, it's just is where it differs a little bit. I'm getting ahead of myself. Most people don't actually resize their uh, cases at all. Where in modern cases, you got to have some kind of uh, uh, neck tension or something yeah. to keep the bullet from sliding around. Whenever you fill the case up with black powder and you compress it with a wad, the uh, the bullet will sit right on top of that wad. And uh, there's no and once you chamber it, there's no danger of it going deeper into the case because it's just sitting on top of that compressed black powder. Yeah, there's nowhere for it to go. A lot of people go. are not even, yeah, there's nowhere for it to go. A lot of people are shooting them with just thumb seated. So if you wanted to get by with loading black powder cartridges, you take your fire form case, find a way to get the 
And you spent primer out of it. Then you clean it. You reprime it. it. You pull your powder in. Then you have to have a way to compress it. Now, once you compress it, then you can just hand seat your bullets into the cases and you're ready to go. Uh-huh. It's uh, pretty easy. Yeah. And it's not all that different than modern, you know, high power cartridge shooting right. stuff. Uh, it's a little slower, but. Yeah, you can, uh, can't shoot as fast, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> One at a time. Yeah. Unless you're shooting a lever gun, I guess. But that's a different animal. Yeah. <laughs> that opens up a whole other beast. Yeah. There's a um cowboy action shooting range near my house that uh I, I don't I've never shot in, uh, but I'll go there and watch sometimes and, and that's just that's just nuts how fast those guys get. Yeah, that's something I've considered if I had time. But I don't <laughs> but when I've wow, something I would consider would like to do. I'd love to shoot one of those in black powder. I wouldn't worry about how fast I was. I yeah. just like to shoot like just make a big cloud of smoke. Yeah, just pa pa pa. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you have a whole lot of time on your hands, so you can definitely add another discipline and another set yeah. of guns and reloading That's supplies. All my wife, my wife would really appreciate that. <laughs> Although I think she would enjoy uh, cowboy. I think she would enjoy cowboy action shooting. Yeah, does she enjoy? Does she shoot herself? I mean, she's sharing she, a lot of photos and videos of you guys at shoots. She enjoys and going to the shoots and doing that stuff. She we do twenty two silhouettes, and she'll shoot that. Okay. But uh, she used to do skirmishing with me, but she got tired of uh, standing out in the heat and getting dirty. Yeah. So she uh, she just uh, watches now. But the she enjoys going out to the range and shooting. She likes shooting my black powder guns, but she doesn't want to compete. Yeah. That's a and that's fine. I, know, I understand it's not for everybody. Yeah. On that note. What do you enjoy the most about these shooting matches and competitions you're going to? I mean, you're going to a lot of different matches. I mean, is it is it kind of taxing on your brain? Because a lot of people, when it comes to competition, they, they kind of shy away from it. Um, the thing I enjoy most about it probably is the people. I look forward to going and uh, seeing old friends and meeting meeting new friends. And I, I really enjoy just competing of it. A lot of people... I like to look at the scoreboard. A lot of people tell me not to do that, but I can't help it. I, I just, I love watching the tight races and I love knowing when it's coming down to the wire. I love, I love the pressure. Yeah. I love it. That's, that's what drives me, I guess. And I love watching the scores and seeing how things are playing out. If I'm not doing so good, I like trying to come up with a plan of how a path to victory or, you know, what do I need to work on? How do I, how do I get, how do I tighten up? Yeah. What do you need to do to improve and, yeah. Uh, how can we make the next relay better? I just, I love, I love the, the competitive aspect of it. Yeah. I, I like the, the friendly uh, competitive aspect of it. There's nobody, nobody's doing any cutthroat stuff. I've never, ever seen that at any black powder match. And the fact of the matter is most black powder matches, these included, people bend over backwards to, to help you, even if it's going to cost them, cost them the match. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how many times just in the last couple of years of filming a ton of matches and competitions and things, how many times I've seen somebody stop what they're doing to go help somebody. And 
I don't know. I think even myself, you know, I can kind of psych myself out even when I'm going just to film something, you know, worried that I'm not going to do as good of a job as I want to. Um, but there's always people around willing to help and, and make that happen. It's just, it's such a friendly environment, even though you, you're all there because of a match and a competition trying to do better than the other guy or do better than yourself previously. But there's so much, there's so much friendship and camaraderie. It's just, there is, uh, I've never been to a match. Shooting is only half of it. Yeah. You're only seeing half of it. There, you know, there's so much more that happens when the shooting's over. Just having a good time, laughing. Uh, just, and then these people that you shoot with all summer for so many years, they start to become your second family, and you look forward to seeing them and talking to them. And you talk to them in the off season sometimes, and or, or sometimes I've got the, the my shooting partner Neil Eddington. I'm sure everybody knows who he is. Yeah, I'll go to his house sometimes in the winter time. You know, hang out with him or whatever. Yes. Just, just, that's probably my favorite part of this is the uh, just the people. Yeah, such good people in all of this. Yeah, yeah. You can't. Uh, you. I don't. I don't care what hobby you're into. You cannot top uh, black powder. You, I don't think you can. <laughs> I just. I really don't think you can. <laughs> They're great people all around. So when you head into, I mean, we're in October. We're in the middle of October now. I just had to check my watch to make sure. What do you do to kind of stay spry and stay into it over the winter? Keep going to shoots. Keep going to shoots. I mean, you're putting on a winter jacket and Carhartts and heading out there shooting. Yeah, uh, I didn't do it last year because of the COVID or last season, but they have uh, in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Oh, gosh. They have shoots called uh, Black Powder Through the Ages. I'll try to get there twice a year which is just offhand stuff at 50 and a hundred yards. Uh, then there's another, uh, club that shoots down in Miami, Ohio, which I haven't been into the, any of their shoots yet, but I'm hoping to this year. They shoot mid range matches all winter long. Okay. And then we used to have a guy that shot and we had, used to have smooth matches near Dayton, Ohio, but they got, they got closed down. We'd shoot them all, all winter long. Wow. Uh, in the, uh, you know, in the in the winter when it's cold out or whatever. Yeah. But uh, uh, and if if that's none of that's going on, I just go out to the range. I still I still try to get out to the range in the in the winter months. Although I don't do it as often, I'll admit. Yeah. I do a lot of the bullet casting at that time, but I still try to go out at least once a month and shoot something. Unless there's so much snow on the ground, I can't get out. Yeah. All the ranges I go to are up a hill, so once it snows, I'm pretty much shut down. Uh-huh. But if uh, last, like, like I said last year, due to COVID, they didn't have any many as many off-season shoots as they used to. But yeah, hopefully, hopefully they'll pick up this year. I think so. I think uh, this week the Indiana started opening back up even more. I think yes. right there, like yeah. stage five now, and it's uh, hopefully it hopefully it kind of turns around. We can have a normal year next year. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I could really use a normal year. Yeah, I think we all can. Yeah, yeah. A lot of my friends uh, that are a little further out west, some of them haven't been able to shoot much at all this year. Man, which I've been. It went for us. It went from having absolutely no shoots, and then uh, in May, I run the matches, the silhouette matches in Kentucky, near Ashland. Mm-hmm. And in May, we just decided that we're just going to start having shoots again. Yeah. And ever since then, it's just started taking off, and we've had shoots. Uh, We've been to a lot of shoots since then. May and June were pretty busy. Uh, August was busy. Uh, it started to calm down a little bit in September and October. 
I've got uh, one more match, a one-day match in Kentucky at the end of this month on Saturday the 24th. And then I head down to, uh, then we're going to Gettysburg after that and for a weekend. Oh, nice. And then I'm going from Gettysburg to uh, Dawsonville, Georgia for their uh, big regional. They have a four-day shoot down there in Dawsonville. And that'll be my last match of the season. Uh-huh. So are you, I have to ask, are you sponsored or anything? Or is this just your own personal drive to just get out no, there and shoot better? No, no sponsor. I just, I just enjoy it. <laughs> That's wonderful. Something I can't get enough of. Yeah. When I first started shooting North-South Skirmish Association, there's a guy named Dominic and Fuente that was on our team. And he, first thing he told me was, this will get in your blood. Yeah. And he was right. It, it really has. I love hearing oh. that. All of it's pretty much got it. All the black powder stuff has that I do. Do you shoot any any modern firearms, or is it all traditional stuff? I do. I do a little bit. Every now and then I'll go through a phase where I'll uh, take out a couple handguns and shoot them. Yep. I went through a little phase in March, I think. <laughs> I just started loading up my smokeless stuff and started shooting it. But uh-huh. once we once the once the matches started back up, I quit. I, put all them to the side <laughs> put them back in a box yeah <laughs> trying to get the real toys out yeah exactly <laughs> the real guns yeah. come out to play yeah i just i've never had uh they just don't they don't have much an appeal for uh, to me yeah that's the uh the old stuff they're neat i mean modern firearms are neat i've, I've got a few but it's just there's so much history with everything kind of pre-1900 that you just, yes you don't have in the modern stuff i mean it's neat it's nice i like shooting it but man you get into pre-1900 and you're just gold for me it's just yeah that's that's where i like to live uh, I'm, I'm more fascinated with that area probably in the 1840s up to the 1890s yeah. In that area in firearms. When the uh industrial revolution started taking taking hold on the on the guns and how what they were able to come with, some of the designs they came up with in that time is fascinating to me. Oh yeah. I mean they, that's the when problems, they were... how they how they solved some of the problems. There's a uh, some brilliant people back yeah. then. I mean they they looked at everything and that's when they were finally able to kind of figure out the science and the math behind it to and take what we knew worked just from experience is how I look yeah. at it and then actually apply engineering to it and then take it forward. And I, I'm right there with you. It's just a fascinating time period. What power scope are you using? Right. I, the, the scope I have is an eight power scope. Okay. Um, uh, MVA makes scopes for this game and they make them in uh, three different powers. They make them in six, eight and 10 power. Okay. A lot of people, I really like, and the, the MVA just came out with a 10 power uh, not that long ago. I believe Stan Reed won one at the uh, regional shoot you guys had. Uh-huh. But a lot of people like that 10 power scope because they say you can start to read the Mirage with that higher magnification scope. Okay. Which with my scope, it has to be pretty, I have a DZ arm scope, and it has to be pretty pretty heavy Mirage for me to be able to see it. Okay. But I don't shoot scope a whole lot. I'm still, I'm, uh, I think I'm 39. <laughs> I was born eighty one. Does that mean I'm thirty nine? Thirty eight, thirty nine. Okay, I can't My do math. Pretty, yeah, I can't either. My <laughs> eyes are still pretty, uh, uh, pretty good. Yeah. So uh, I uh, shoot scope on occasion, but right now, typically, I'm just shooting irons. Yeah. 
I'm uh, I'm only 27, so I'm always joking with my dad and, and some of my older buddies at the range that I've, I've still got good eyes on them. <laughs> yeah, it helps. It yeah. really helps. Yeah, it does. I mean, that's neat. I, I, I mean, eight power, I think, in, in terms of modern shooting, a lot of people are going to hear that and think, you know, it's not a whole lot. I mean, some of the... Um, the modern inline guys, I mean, I think they're shooting upwards to 20 and 24 power. Yeah. If my understanding is correct on it. I mean, from there, yeah, I think, so. I think you're right. You can, they just say you just see the breast of the chicken. You don't even see the whole chicken. You know, yeah. you, you just know that you're on it. And yeah, and to me, that would be difficult. Yeah. I, it'd be hard. You know, with an eight power scope, uh, you lay down on the sticks and you can tell right away if your position's good or not. You uh -huh. know, you'll see a little bit of wobble here or there, and especially offhand. When you shoot offhand with a scope, it's it seems like the chicken is just there, then it's gone, there, yeah. then it's gone. I couldn't imagine trying to shoot with a 24 or 32 power scope. Yeah, that'd just be nuts. I. But maybe they say that about us. I don't right, know. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But you can still, uh, the scope really, the eight power and the 10 power scopes, they just allow you to see the animal better yeah. than if you were shooting an irons, irons uh, sight. And a lot of people are surprised if you, when you go to a match, there's a lot of iron, uh, score, the iron and scope scores are really close. And a lot of times uh, your iron scores will be, uh, the winner of the match winner will a lot of times be an iron shooter. Really? So, yeah, huh. which is kind of surprising sometimes. Yeah, yeah you'd think it'd be the other way around. Right. Is there any, do you have any theories on to, as to why that is? Well, uh, honestly, I don't, because it doesn't, it doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> other than, I really, I really don't know. Uh, Jim Deetland, one that had the highest score up there at, uh, at your regional, uh, in August, and he was shooting iron scope or hmm. iron uh, iron uh, sights. Yeah. Huh. And he's uh, I think he's in his late fifties, early sixties. Oh wow, he's a uh, real trooper. Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he's good sh good shot. He's got good eyes apparently. Yeah. Well, I won't keep you any longer, Ian. I, I really appreciate you you coming on and and spending the time with me. I feel. I always joke with people that I always feel more energized about muzzleloading black powder and, and any facet of it after I do one of these talks, one of these interviews with somebody, because I just, I love hearing about it. I mean, no matter yeah. what it is, it's, if you were making knives out in the woods or if you're shooting the modern inline stuff, that, that whole, the whole range gets me going. And, and this was yeah, kind it's of all an fascinating. Area. I think it's all fascinating. What the in guy, inline guys are doing out there is pretty, it's uh, what they're able to do with those rifles, I think is pretty neat. Yeah, it's what the the accuracy <laughs> they can get out of them things is incredible. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of the I joke that those guys have the the race the race guns of muzzle loading. Yeah, that's a good uh, that's a good way of putting it. That's a real good way of saying it. I'd say because they're just they're out there on the front end trying to engineer their way out of everything. <laughs> yeah, Talk, talking with Jeff Fisk for any amount of time really gets my brain going because he's figuring <laughs> out stuff that I didn't know needed to be figured out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of the groups uh, Bob Wetzler pictures he puts on there and it's like that gone. Yeah, these guys are animals. Yeah. They're they're busy, just beasts out there. Well, I, I appreciate it. Anytime you want to come on and talk about this stuff, you you just let me know. I'm, I'm I'd love to hear about it. Okay, sounds good. Okay, thank you very much, Ian. I really appreciate it.
Alrighty, thanks a lot. Once again, we'd like to thank Ian for coming on the show tonight. It was a really interesting conversation, and uh, now I'm going to have to go beg my wife to let me get a black powder cartridge rifle because it sounds like a lot of fun. After seeing him shoot in the regional, that uh, the shooting bug kind of got into me there, and, and now it just seems like another great and fun thing to start shooting. So that's really neat, Ian. I appreciate you coming on, and um, looking forward to hearing more and seeing more of you shooting. I think if we all shot as much as Ian does we'd have a lot more fun. As we head into winter, I know it's common for a lot of us, including myself, to spend that time kind of retooling, maybe getting something new, adding a new piece of kit uh, to what we carry around all the time to shoots or to rendezvous or to camps or anything. If you're looking for something new this year, please check out the list of our sponsors and commercial row vendors in the show notes. It's been a really rough year for a lot of these mom and pop businesses without any of the large shows that have been planned for decades. These people re rely on those shows and COVID-19 really threw us for a loop and, and took that, that earning potential away from these small family owned businesses. So if you're looking for something new this year, especially as we head into the holiday season, please consider shopping small with some of the NMLRA vendors and advertisers. I know that they would really appreciate it, and we would really appreciate it if you helped keep them going through this rough time. We'd also like to thank podcast sponsor Thor Bullets. Thor Bullets has been really generous and really gracious with us this year sponsoring the podcast. We're really excited to be working with them. So if you're shooting a modern inline muzzleloader this year for your hunting season, please check out Thor Bullets. Pick up a couple packs, test them out, see what you think. I know you're going to like them, and I'm sure it's going to be able to take down whatever you're hunting this year. Hunting season is in full swing just about everywhere in the country on some kind of animal, some kind of game right now. So if you have a neat muzzleloader hunting story, please reach out and get in touch with us. We'd love to have you on the show and hear your muzzleloader hunting experience. That's all I've got, folks. As always, if you'd like to support the show, please visit nmlra.org join to become a member. Podcast listeners, use the code PODCAST10 at the NMLRA store at nmlra.org. We'll have a link down in the description. That's going to get you 10% off of any piece of NMLRA merchandise. This includes our shirts, books, hats, just about anything in the store. And it lets us know that you came from the podcast. We'd really appreciate your support. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.